Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on where you are. It's good, good afternoon. Night. It's good night for you and it's good <laughs> afternoon for me. I wonder if it's good morning in the UK. It probably is. Uh, welcome Wait, back hold to... on. No, it's, it's 10 a.m. where you are, isn't it? No, no, no. It's, it's 11. 11. Oh, it's 11 a.m. for me. Good afternoon in the UK. Good morning to me, good afternoon, and good evening to you. Don't you think time's are so weird? I, I think time is just a weird concept in itself, to be honest. Quite with arbitrary. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't like it does make sense because you get to organize the day. But who gets to decide that t- clocks go back and forward? What does that even mean? Yeah, but just the whole concept of there's the Greenwich Mean Time, and that's meant to be the middle of the entire world. Yeah, like that's pretty. That's pretty mad. Anyway, I mean, I don't think that's all we plan to talk about today. Yeah, we're not talking about colonialism. We can do that another time. We can do that on another podcast. Um. Anyway, in today's episode, we are going solo. We've got no guest, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're getting solo. We have no guest, thankfully, because otherwise the guest would be sat there thinking, "What the heck is going on?" Um. <laughs> one point to make, actually, before we start, we are closing in on a thousand listens, which is very exciting in our first year um, of having a podcast. And, and we are very much amateurs in this sport, uh, in this sport <laughs> of podcasting, which brings me into the subject of what we're going to talk about today. Um, so we wanted to discuss the topic of, well, what's the difference between elite and amateur athletes? Uh, who, like, when do you decide to become an elite athlete? Um, does that choice be made? Is that choice made for you? Are there certain predisposed genetical advantages or psychological advantages? And are there differences between different sports, for example? Um, so I guess let's kick things off with what do you think the main differences between elite and amateur athletes are in terms of, you know, advantages? Um, well, I mean, I, I, you know, the main difference is that professionals get paid. Yeah. Or they, or they get paid to do a sport as a job, you know? Um, so in many ways, the whole approach towards the sport is different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's more of a kind of psychological or a mindset thing, but I think that plays a massive role in, in you taking part in the sport, you being an athlete and you competing in a sport you know um when it is your livelihood and you know we, we've said it before on the podcast and guests have said it essentially you're getting paid to play a game that you love you know but with that comes certain you know certain pressures of having to perform um performing to a specific level in order to get paid um you know kind of contractual financial pressures um and you know more impact when you don't 
perform well or you get injured, so on and so forth. Mm. Whereas I'm not saying that amateurs don't have that kind of pressure. Obviously they do, you know, you're still in a competitive setting and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it in many sports. Amateurs still do compete to a very high level and very successfully. But at the end of the day, I think when you've got another day job to go back to where you're getting paid well, or you're getting paid a, a proper income, you don't have the same kind of pressures as when your day job is to play the game. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think um, it's quite difficult to sort of dis discern the difference in certain sports. Um, like I think a ma major difference for me that I've noticed and I'm going to use the example of like weightlifting as most people know, like the majority of my athletes and clients come from weightlifting. Um, and I think <clears throat> outside, I want to take it down like a slightly different route. Obviously the pressures of being a, an elite athlete are far and beyond away uh, to being an amateur athlete. And I, I, really want you to kind of share the story of of the of the snooker player uh in in a, in a in a second but i think for me um the difference between outside of being paid and that being your full-time job i think the main difference uh you know being elite and being an amateur would be genetics like your genetic potential i think not that genetics is everything in sport but in some sports if you are genetically predisposed to being good i.e like characteristics like if your sport requires people to be tall or like a certain type of body type for example like michael phelps like he was in swimming um even like an endurance athlete being more efficient at taking and processing oxygen or Maybe they have more fast twitch muscle fibers, so they'd be a better sprinter or a better jumper, um, for example. Whereas some amateur athletes might never reach that pro level, potentially because of their genetics. So it's almost like a genetic ceiling. I think also the other factor that, that I want to kind of weave into what you said was, you know, for most elite athletes, this is their full-time job. And so they are going to have um, more time to practice because they might be getting paid to practice because that's their job. And so like sports specific experience is a big factor. Like if you aren't practicing your sport <clears throat> on a regular basis, then it's difficult to improve that task and how skilled you become in that task. I guess interweaving with that is like focused training, um, you know, and what I mean by that, and you actually said it really well was like, you know, people might be a really good athlete, but they have to go back to a day job. You know, they have to, I don't know, sit in an office all day or a good example would be um, there's a weightlifter called Zoe Smith. I'm not sure if you know of her uh, in her run up to, the uh, olympics she actually had to work at work at a coffee shop um to make her way because weightlifting as a sport 
is essentially a hobbyist sport in the UK at the minute. And it's getting better with, um, you know, the, the funding that Emily Campbell managed to secure for herself being a very good weightlifter. And now they've set up a few foundations to support those athletes. But for all intents and purposes, the makeup of weightlifting is you have to be a very good hobbyist before you are an elite weightlifter. Um, at least, you know, that's the way that I see it. Uh, yeah. And then interestingly, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because the psychological aspect of it, I think is the biggest factor that people don't kind of, um, they don't really understand as much, you know, we've mentioned on this podcast time and time again, that, you know, you have a psychologist, you've had psychology support for a number of years and the argument could be, okay, well, yeah, but he can pay for it. Yeah, I get that. But anyone can pay for it. If you have a full-time job and you're willing to put the effort in and you think that that is a weakness of your sport and you're not paying for it, that's no one else's problem but yours. Like if that's something that you mm. have identified. So I guess bringing it back onto the topic of, of the question I wanted to ask you, some people might say something like mental toughness and grit are very important factors. But if I'm honest with you, I would almost argue the opposite because I feel like regardless of whether you're elite or an amateur, you could still be mentally tough and, you know, have grit and yeah. not be elite. But the other, the kind of the converse of that is also definitely true in my opinion. Like being a professional athlete or being someone who works a nine to five and doing sport recreationally or being an amateur athlete and also a business owner like at the end of the day we're all human and you know we all get nervous at competition we all are competitive we all want to do well blah blah like all of these things play a role in our psychology regardless of yeah. what our day job um but in regard to like getting, uh, you know, the the thought that maybe um, professional athletes have psychologists and they have access to psychologists and stuff like that, it, it, I think it goes further than that. And I think in terms of why professional athletes are professional athletes, or, or it comes with part of the job that they have, generally speaking, they have access a lot more access and resources to these these um these forms of kind of support and help and 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 you know physically mentally psychologically in terms of their recovery after trading you know their nutrition their psychology like all of these things are supported and they have the resources to support them in order for them to perform to the best of their abilities which is essentially their job you know whereas these um these avenues and these these opportunities maybe for an amateur um especially someone who can't you know put as much into it um whether that's time or financially they just don't have access to these things and you know i'm sure you see it in weightlifting you know th there's a big difference between i suppose being a professional weightlifter your day revolves around your training right and then you have all this time to recover and you have all these 
methods of recovery like you know going to see a sports therapist you know go, like going into i don't know an ice bath or a cryo chamber like all of these things they are you, you know there are people who are funded to to go to these things or, or have access to whereas being an amateur weightlifter or a recreational weightlifter you know you don't you're kind of out on your own a little bit and you're training and you wonder why you feel like your back's going to snap the next day and like you know you, yeah i'm sure you can relate to that you know like there's a big in many and probably in some sports more than others there's a massive gap uh, between what the professionals have access to and the resources they can they can utilize and yeah versus that of an amateur and a recreational athlete oh yeah for sure like resource uh, like resource availability and you know the amount of time they can dedicate to that is is entirely entirely different to you know an elite athlete but like another thing that i want to kind of get your your thought on as well is you briefly touched on you know the stuff that you do outside of training okay so we talk about we we've had a couple of podcasts where we talk about recovery we talk about rest we talk about mindset and we talk about kind of mental preparation how much of that stuff outside of training do you think makes a difference when it comes to an elite athlete over a say an amateur athlete i mean i think it makes a massive difference Mm. um you know like and i can only speak from i guess personal my personal experience and my perspective and in my sport for example you have it's very in many ways very open um yeah where in a sense that amateurs in you know in in the sense of the term that they don't do it professionally amateurs can still and do compete to an extremely high level, like top level. Um, you know, you have amateurs at the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and then week in, week out, you have amateur riders competing against the top professionals through all the levels, you know, mm-hmm. with young horses, with more experienced horses, you know, at, at championships and all of these things. You have amateurs and professionals competing side by side. And I always just really admire people who like i say people have a real job whereas yeah and you know they go to their real job and make their contribution to society um <laughs> and are still able to come back and and train and work on themselves and work on themselves as an athlete and and progress in the sport whereas you know because that in itself is hard enough you know i wake up on on a normal day and my job is just to ride my horses mm. and to train and then the rest of the day you know i do a bit of work on the and uh, in the stables and then i go to the gym you know i do do my stretching and mobility work at home you know i have meetings i maybe talk to my psychologist um things like that mm. but it all revolves or most of it revolves around me as a rider and and my horses and my sport and yeah. so if you're doing that on top of another job with completely different sort of requirements and expectations and things you have to fulfill. Like that is a massive ask, you know, and yeah. I, don't, I don't think many people are able to do that successfully. 
and that's no surprise you know it's 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 tough man yeah i think you're right like especially you know with equestrian it bridging that gap is is almost nigh impossible because you just have so much to work on you know and then you have another job on side of it i think in in other sports this is not to downplay you know elite athletes having jobs outside of it because they have to or whatever reason i would argue that it in some sports it, it is slightly easier to be able to have to be able to juggle um the two i'm not saying that it's easier in terms of the effort they put in i'm saying that it's easier to juggle the fact that they might have to have a job outside of that to supplement them being you know an elite athlete case in point as i'm talking about that i'm i literally just popped into my head that we had a conversation with elsa like two months ago you know who two sides of the coin you are in the elite athlete elsa is an elite athlete and unfortunately, Luz doesn't pay at all. And so she has to have another job. Um, and obviously, she's ran into problems where she's had to take time off work and she's had to, you know, juggle the stress of doing exams and so on and so forth. And then, you know, that that for her is her pressure. Whereas for you, the pressure is that you, this is your job. Like if you're sick or you're tired, you, you still have to turn up to your job to work you know, because your job is you have to train and you have to do everything physically possible um, yeah. To, yeah. to be present. Bringing myself on to, you know, another question that I wanted to ask you as well is, well, it's kind of a two-parter, but I'll, I'll go with the first one is, how much do you think good coaching and the fostering of those relationships from when you're young to like where you are now is important? And I guess the second part to that. So first one is, you know, how important is like good coaching and good mentoring through your kind of career as an, as an amateur athlete into eventually an elite athlete. And the second thing is, um, how important is it for that athlete to take ownership of the things that they know that they need to be better at rather than just going, uh, my coach can do that for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I mean, and yeah, to add to what you said earlier, you know, there are there are re- there are a lot of people in in my sport in eventing who I really admire, who are able to juggle the top level competition with, you know, having a real job, you know, someone like uh shout out um, to someone like Xanthi Goldsack who just competed in her first five-star championship um she works in pharmaceuticals you know mm. and that's 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 a proper uh, job yeah <laughs> um but also travels the world competing um mm. and competes internationally and that that for me is just just mad but I, I think in regard to what you said just now as well I think that's a really good point like I mean, we both know how important coaching is, right? And how big of a role it plays in in performance and, and, and in the athlete. Like, even you as a coach have a coach um, to to coach yourself in, in weightlifting. Um, and I think, again, it comes down to, uh, I don't know, like, what you think, but I think a big part of it comes down back to the fact that I think many professionals and, and and whoever's labeled as a professional might 
have a lot more access and open doors to the good coaches, you know, coaches who uh, train at the top level and work with the top athletes. And, you know, I think there are, there's obviously exceptions. There are coaches who are equally um, giving and generous to, you know, all athletes of all different levels and whether they're professional amateur, but I think, a lot of a lot of coaches want to, I suppose, work in that professional environment and that and work with that kind of crowd. You know, um, I think these athletes have a lot more access to it, and and we see it in all different sports. Like I'm sure it's the same in weightlifting, isn't it? Yeah, it's very similar. Um, you know, the people that are kind of the more they go up the ladder, I guess, and the the better athletes they coach you know, um, the less likely they are to actually coach people who are just starting out, which I think is a double-edged sword because ultimately the reason why they started to become a good coach is because they had to go over and over and over and over again through the basics. Mm -hmm. And then they tend to forget that actually, you know, the reason that they are where they are is yes, they are a good coach and they demonstrated that because otherwise they probably wouldn't be where they were. But, you know, ultimately us as coaches, the only way that we can be good and demonstrate that is if our, if, is if our athlete is good. I yeah. think a lot, yeah. you know, I know this is probably going to rub people up the wrong way, but the only reason why I'm a good coach is because I have good athletes it's not the other way around. That's my opinion. Like, yeah. I obviously, you know, I've made some athletes good, but they have to put the work in. I don't do mm. anything of that. You know, I can support them. I can tell them how to do things. I can, well, at least to my knowledge, you know, but ultimately for them to get where they are, they have to do that themselves. And it really does frustrate me when coaches think that they are very good coaches because they have good athletes, but actually, you know, if they didn't have good athletes, would they still be a good coach? And I mean, I suppose having good athletes makes the job easy, doesn't it? Or it makes the job easier. You know, you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the coach. No, that's an interesting point actually. Cause I guess it, it does and it doesn't, you know, it does because, you know, it makes you look good at your job, (laughs) Mm. but there's more pressure, you know, like you say, if I was, if I were, um, if you were an amateur horse rider, you would have less pressure going to these big competitions, you know, Mm. and you could still potentially do just as well, um, because there's less pressure, but then on the flip side, you might, not necessarily get as far as you want to if you were still an amateur um you know so ultimately eventually you have to make that switch and this is something that i want to kind of kind of to go on to was you know i guess um when do you sort of decide to make that switch like who makes that decision for you i don't know you know i guess i i mean you look at sort of uh countries like china for example or Mm. russia um these countries that 
put a lot of put a lot of effort into into creating athletes and creating sort of Olympians and, and Olympic medalists. Um, you have kids being sent to sports academies at the age of six, you know, and being scouted yeah. at a really young age um, based on, I don't know, the genetics or, with you know, their physical suitability for a certain sport being sent to these sports academies. And, and from as young as six, you know, their, their path is to be a professional athlete. And that's fully yeah. that's fully decided for them you know that's crazy uh, and and you know they have this in many ways you know it's i think it's there's two sides to it fucking people who you know otherwise wouldn't have those kinds of opportunities in mm. terms of you know financially and with sponsorships and stuff like that as well as being able to travel the world and compete and be on this international stage you know they're from a rural village and, and they maybe the family hasn't got much but they've been given this opportunity um or they've been fostered into this this opportunity from a baby um yeah. to be able to to do this you know and we see a lot of it in a lot of the chinese athletes for example, at the Olympics, a lot of them come from not very much, but go through these these sports academies and, and they're made into, into top athletes. Mm. Um, obviously, the flip side of that, I suppose, is the fact that, you know, and, and you, see, you see a lot of Russian athletes or, or uh, Russians that go through the sporting academies end up, because um, the, the reality is, only a small percentage of them rise make to the it. top, you know, only a small percentage of them make it to the Olympics or a mm. championship. What happens to the rest of them? Exactly. Like, That's exactly up, what I wanted to ask you. You know, because been, they you've been you've yeah. been given this path of being a professional athlete from uh, since you were a baby and then all of a sudden like you've a broken leg or you just yeah. didn't run quite fast enough. Like what do you do? Yeah, well, you think, uh, I, exactly. You're left out to the walls, basically, aren't you? Unless you have other skills that you can take and apply it in a, you know, in a career outside of sport, which yeah. if you're 16, 16 to 21, you might be lucky that you could, you know, relearn and, you know, and go back and, and start a career. But if you, you know, if you, are just on the cusp of making it and and you've maybe made it to one Olympics and then you get injured, like you're now in your late 20s, maybe early 30s, and all you've known is training for sport in that system, what do you do? Do you go into coaching or what? It's, yeah, it's tough. But I mean, you look at, yeah, I mean, then you look at the US, you know, where um, colleges provide scholarships. For, for people to go there and play sport you know that's another another way of kind of I suppose a pathway into professional sports but then you're also getting a degree and you're yeah. also given yeah. opportunities to, to have other options I suppose and, and to yeah. do things outside of sports that you know you could be interested in or or you could use later down the line in your life and just having these kind of different avenues outside of just professional sports, I believe like most of them 
are the same. Like they decide from a young age that that's what they want to do. Mm. Um, and then you've got the other kind of, you kind of just fall into it. You know, I, I think in many ways, yeah, I definitely fell into it <laughs> in the sense that I, I don't think I ever, and I, maybe that's just a personal think of thing of like, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think that much, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I definitely think that I never made a conscious decision per se to of sitting down and being like, at least in the beginning, of being like, this is what I'm going to do professionally, full time. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until I started doing it, I was like, oh, actually, I'm doing this professionally, full time. <laughs> um and then i decided to to do it and that it's what i wanted to do but yeah you know and i think the reason for that as well is that and i don't know about weightlifting or, or you know other sports that um you coach your athletes but in a lot of sports like the line or the threshold between amateur and professional is is definitely really blurred you know yeah. what makes and I think there's kind of there's connotations in the word that aren't in the words that aren't accurate. You know, like a professional implies that they are they're good um, and better than the amateurs. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, but that's yeah. not necessarily true. You know, I don't. I don't know. Do you see in weightlifting where amateurs beat professionals? Mm. Or not? Not know. so much. Not so much. In my sport, you see it. Um, you see it, and uh, again, not so much. But yeah, it definitely happens. And you know, when it does, it's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's um, different in weightlifting. Just to interrupt, because and, and even in equestrian as well, because yes, it is a skill, um, a skill acquisition sport. You know, you have to acquire the skill of being a good um, equestrian athlete. And you have to be good at multimodal things. Like you can't just be good at dressage or show jumping or cross country. You have to be decent at all three in terms of skill. Look at you getting with the, getting with the lingo. Come on. But, and then same as weightlifting, you know, you could be very good at the snatch and cleaner jerk, but not be very strong. And if you're not physically yeah. strong, you're never going to beat the best in the world. Um, whereas if your sport requires less physical prowess, and I'm not trying to shit on sports that don't have, uh, you know, more important face physical capabilities, but if it requires less, you know, physical training, I think you are probably slightly better um so, sorry it's slightly easier as an amateur athlete to potentially best the elite athletes um yeah. i think the major difference though and and i talk about elite and amateur athletes is for elite athletes i the the main biggest difference that i didn't touch on at the start is just how long they've been doing that sport how long they mm. practice how deliberate that practice is um, you know, and when I talk about deliberate practice, I think we've mentioned this in the past. People are always banging on about Anders Ericsson, 10,000 hours, right? Of 10,000 yeah. hours to be an expert. 
people read it really wrong that it's not just putting in 10,000 hours of work. It's putting in 10,000 perfect hours of practice to be the best. And I think the difference, main, main difference between, and I'm talking about the distinction between an elite athlete at the top of their sport versus an amateur, not kind of a blend in between of like just falling into it or they've just started to be yeah. a pro athlete is their thought process is entirely different. They don't just think like, oh, that was a shit session. And then they pack it in. You know, they understand that like it's it's a long journey. You know, like they they see criticism as thoughtful and improving their weaknesses whereas amateurs might see feedback as like criticism when it's not criticism like i'm not criticizing you as a person <laughs> i'm just trying to tell you that you need to do this better you know so mm. and i think i i mentioned this to someone the other day that in terms of like maturity as an athlete you mature more through being an athlete for longer which helps you become or at least stay in that elite category because you just understand that like you're shit at this you need to improve this you know and ultimately consistency is more important than having a really good training session versus having a month of really shit training sessions mm. um i remember my coach saying to me when i was playing football that you could make one really good catch and be really good in that game. But if you play every other game of the season like shit, then you're probably going to lose. And I think that's the yeah. main difference between professionals is that they value consistency. It's not that one catch was really good. It's can I catch that ball nine times out of 10 rather mm -hmm. than one time out of 10? You know, it's, um have you heard of the strength coach dan john yeah yeah so dan john kind of talks about this idea of two types of training sessions of push the ceiling and pull the floor um most of us when we talk about training um yeah. i'll take you for example right let's say your best back squat is 200 kilos um i wish it were. <laughs> let's say best wish. <laughs> Your best back squat. Best back is. Listen, one day that's what we're gonna do: squat a horse, literally, <laughs> a young horse, but squat a horse. Um, a baby. Yeah. So let's say your best back squat is two hundred kilos, right? Most sessions that you'll do, um, and I'm giving you a very blasé example of this. Your thought process would be: okay, how do I squat two hundred and ten kilos? That's quite a big ask when your squat is already 200 kilos. This is just an example, by the way. I'm not looking to push up your squat to 210 kilos because whether that would make you a good athlete, the argument is irrelevant because, you know. We can we can give it a go. Um, oh, I break my back. Yeah, you might break your back, which is not great. Um, but then, so that's push the ceiling, um, which essentially if you imagine a house right so if this is the ground and this is the ceiling if i continue to keep pushing up the ceiling there's now a load of space between the floor and the ceiling of my house and it, it's empty space right 
So that could mean that like, yes, my I could aim to push my best back squat up to 210 when it's 200, but I might be failing 170 for three because I don't know how to be consistent and replicate you know, that amount of force or be consistent in, you know, practice. Um, same as you doing a jump a hundred times. If you don't knock over a pole over one jump a hundred times, then objectively you have improved rather than just making a load of fucking random courses and go, yep, yeah, that was sick. Didn't knock down any poles, but it's like, you'd be, this I is... think you'd be really surprised like the number of people who train like that. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. I do you know what? I think this is what I get it from Bruce Lee. Because Bruce one of one of my favorite sayings from mate. Bruce Lee. What? He's my mate. Is he mate? <laughs> I, I hate when you make those kind of comments because it makes you feel really awkward. <laughs> he's such an awkward He's my person. mate. He's my cousin. Oh god. He's not your cousin, though, is he? I don't know, is he? Huh? I don't know. I don't know is you he? tell me. But one thing that I always kind of admired about watching like Bruce Lee movies and, and so on and so forth um, was that just the sheer consist. I know I've gone massively off topic, but the sheer consistency of him like, you know, practicing over, 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 over again. And I remember like this quote is always something that kind of sticks in my mind when I talk about practice in weightlifting that you're not working out and yes, you are training, but you're also practicing is, um, I fear not the man that has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. So like, yeah, it just kind of goes back to my point that athletes are always looking to build that consistency. And so that's what pulling the floor is, is pushing up your minimums is okay. Last week I did, I hit down six poles this week. Let's try to knock down five poles week after. Let's try to knock down four poles. Obviously you could just go out. Oh, I want to try and knock down one pole. I know that's what you're thinking, but you know, the goal is you're trying to build on that <laughs> consistency. And I think that's the main difference that a lot of amateur athletes miss the point of is that it's not always about pushing up that maximum it's about building that consistency so regardless of how shit you feel or what's happened in your day you go in and you do the job and that consistency is last year it could have been 100 snatch this year it's 102 kilo snatch then 103 and 104 yeah. and 105 so that you're you're not missing um you know you're very rarely missing Anyway, I've just gone massively off topic, I think. I don't even no, know. No, I, I see what you're saying though, like actually in terms of and I suppose again it's more relevant in some sports than others, but in probably say weightlifting. Um as well as sports like yeah, you know, I suppose rugby, football, tennis, when uh, there's kind of a threshold of being an elite or being an elite athlete and a professional athlete go kind of hand in hand right and it takes it takes a certain amount to break that threshold and and be a professional um and yeah no i mean i think that makes a lot of sense and i think you know we keep going back to or you as a coach um 
keep going back to you know how important consistency is and how important it is to kind of have that have that resilience and understand the kind of cumulative effect of of good practice and good training and, and what that creates and yeah i think that definitely plays a a big role and but going back to and and you mentioned this a bit earlier this this um what happened at the uk snooker championships last year um basically an amateur beat a professional right uh i think this is pretty big in the news i think um quite a few people would have seen this but yeah november last year the the uk uh snooker championships where sean murphy a professional snooker player um was beaten uh by by an an amateur uh si jahui he was he's you know not a prof he doesn't make a living out of snooker you know he he has a a job you know a day job and he plays snooker essentially for fun and he qualified for the championships kind of by surprise i think and then when he beat uh sean murphy like this guy was livid <laughs> and you know, he was adamant that it wasn't fair. He, he said it wasn't fair. And he um, basically said that amateurs shouldn't even be allowed to play in a professional tournament. Um, basically saying, you know, this 19-year-old kid um, played like he had, didn't have a care in the world um, because he was an amateur and it doesn't matter if you won or lost, but as a professional, you make a living out of this, and you know it's it's your livelihood, livelihood. It's your job, and amateurs shouldn't be allowed to play in it. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. Like this yeah. guy, just he he lost a, a a game, and the fact that he makes money out of the same game than that the other guy doesn't doesn't make it unfair i don't know what do you what do you think i think that's a little shit to be honest with you like <laughs> who i don't it, that comment to me he's so just remind me what he said he said something like it's not fair um you know I this is my livelihood as well yeah i feel extremely hard done by that i've lost to someone who shouldn't even be in the building. I don't know why we as a sport allow amateurs to compete in professional tournaments. This is our livelihood. This is our living. We're self-employed individuals and not contracted sportsmen. Um, the other 127 runners and riders in the tournament, it is their livelihood too. It's wrong in my opinion to walk into somebody who is not playing with the same pressures and concerns as I am. He played like a man who does not have a care in the world because he does not have a care in the world. It is not fair. It is not right. Well, of course he doesn't. But how many people should not be allowed to play in professional tournaments? The end. Nah, that's a little... I mean, how, how how do people go? How do people bridge the gap between going from amateur to elite then? Because that's just but this is el- it. This that's is a it. god complex. Like, that's an elitist mentality. Absolutely. Like I, mean, I, I hate that. I actually hate that. But that's that's what I that's kind of point that I was trying to make. Where like, is there a bridge to be gap? Sorry, is there a gap to be bridged? Um, yeah. And yeah. is there, sorry, you know, like, is there sort of this distinction? Like, how accurate is it actually? Um, mm. You know, 
it's it's sport you know like it's roulette yeah <laughs> and yeah um if at the end of the day like he was beaten by someone who played better than he did then he's not good enough he's he's not good like he i i don't understand and and i think my problem with this is that a lot of the other professionals agreed with him yeah um but i don't understand how he's able to kind of use this professional label um yeah to kind of to to say that other people shouldn't be uh, like allowed to play against it like yeah i mean it just sounds super entitled you know like he doesn't deserve to be here like that i don't know i just don't i don't understand how that guy wasn't reprimanded for saying something like that because you know we, obviously in this podcast we talk about diversity we talk about you know the power of sport to kind of give people um access to resources or access to you know certain things but there's a flip side to that that like even if people have the same resources they might still not be able to get access into being an elite athlete just because mm. people are like oh no he doesn't deserve to be here saying he, like yeah. i don't know that's that's honestly i didn't hear about that's baffling I mean, uh, Sean Murphy, if you want to come on to the podcast to defend yourself, we we welcome that. Yeah, I, that's Sean Murphy. Did you say he was a snooker player? Yeah. Snooker. So interesting. And he's English as well. Yeah, he's one of you. Oh, shit. I actually know this guy. I've, I, yeah, I, I don't watch snooker very much, but I actually recognize this guy's face. Which says something because I don't, I've never watched snooker in my life. Yeah, I mean, the the championships is on again right now, as we speak. Is it really? Yeah. Mm. So what 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 um bloody hell I started there. What what was the outcome then? Like, what was the outcome on that whole? Yeah. Uh, nothing basically. I mean, no, nothing. Rubbish. The world snooker chiefs. Um, he's kind of like the FIFA of sneaker, I suppose. Um, said that they disagreed, and yeah, you know, uh, giving the opportunity for young players and and amateur players to play on the the international stage and the profession against professionals is a big part of the sport and a big part of their development. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, they would never have any fresh blood in the sport. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. I I you know the argument might be maybe they should make I don't know some kind of bracket for you have to qualify for these tournaments but if you qualify no, they do and oh, he did. Well then what's the bloody problem? <laughs> it's not like he's just locked up and people have gone hey uh do you want to do you want to come over and do this tournament on a Sunday? It's over in uh Dover Castle. I think you'll be pretty good at it. You know like <laughs> Ah, oh, that's just strange. That's the thing, though. People say weird things when they're threatened. You know, like when that guy's livelihood is threatened. But his livelihood isn't threatened. He was beaten once by an amateur. And he's thrown his toys yeah. out the pram. Yeah, I mean, that's not very professional. No, it's himself. not professional at all. Uh, ridiculous. 
I'm going to do some <laughs> reading on that because that's interesting. Oh, I've just yeah. read it here. Oh, shit. This is recent, bro. This was last year. Yeah, yeah. 2021 championships. How do you say this guy's name? C. G. Hua. It's racist, bro. <laughs> Don't play that card <laughs> on me. Yeah, something like that. All right. And he was, oh, he's only 20 years old as well. Well, he was 19 last year, yeah. Yeah. That's mental. So he, oh, yeah. So here it says he qualified for the 2019, 2020, and the 2020 to 2021 tournament. Yeah. And then he went on to beat Sean Murphy in the first round. I mean, shit. If you get beaten by an amateur, then up your game. Yeah. Like, Literally. you know, it's it's not his fault. Like, ultimately, they need to have, they need to be able to get people in. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have I mean, anything this else to, to say. This leads to, you know, what I was thinking about, which is, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the main differences, I guess, between mm. professional and amateur athletes where, yeah, you know, things like their mentality and their their kind of approach to training, um, and their approach to to the sport in general, things like that. Like whether that be the consistency or 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 kind of attention to detail or that want to to improve and be better. Mm. Like you know, seeing that example, for example, it's surely those things aren't exclusive to to professionals no definitely not um you know i guess the point i was trying to make was more often than not professionals or elite or elite athletes whatever you would like to categorize them as um i think it is certainly at least in more physically demanding sports it's certainly going to be easier for you if you have those advantages, um, you know, but then you make a great point that at some point you had to have actually been good at an amateur level and be able to commit enough time, energy and resources to actually make it, you know, and be lucky enough to make it to the elite and professional level, because I'm sure that there's probably tons of footballers that are really good but they just never get seen yeah you know and so is that a problem yeah it is a problem but it's not like it's such a large problem to try and fix where would you even start because you know ultimately it just depends on who you're playing or if there's a scout there i'm talking about football or rugby for example you know, or like yeah. the resources that you have available to you, the teams that you play, like there's so many different factors that play into it rather than you being just a good athlete. Yeah, and it's also not a, it's not an overnight thing. It's not like you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm good enough to be a professional athlete. No, 100%, no. No, you kind of reach that level of breaking that threshold and, and you know, you have to gradually reach that level. Um in many sports, like you have to reach that level to be allowed in, you know, say yeah. rugby or football or basketball where, where you scouted for, for professional teams and things like that, or even individual sports where you're kind of quote unquote, like self-employed, 
and you know you have to look for sponsors you have to look for kind of financial support and things like that and um if you're not good you're not getting any <laughs> basically like um yeah and, and but interestingly like i think in the kind of the distinction between amateur and professional sports in general i think there are like i don't know like some sports take a in general much more professional approach than others um you know like i know that and speaking to kind of professional rugby players and knowing the the, the fact that it's really only been the last couple of years like the last five six years or so that rugby as a sport has taken a more professional approach in terms of you know teams professional teams having uh more emphasis on on snc on on nutrition on things like that and it not just being a couple of guys playing rugby and then going out drinking um and we see the same in in surfing for example and we see the same in my sport to be honest you know like it still in many ways feels like a very sort of amateur sport um which isn't a negative thing like i don't use that word negatively and and to be honest i love it like i love that part of it i love the fact that we're a bit like a cult and we <laughs> gather in a different field every weekend and we ride however many horses and then we have a drink afterwards and like those, these are some of the best parties I've ever been to um but it's also taken a much more professional shift in which uh many riders if not all the kind of professional riders um are looking a lot more into I guess improving and, and developing themselves as kind of athletes in general whether that be again the snc and, and things like that um to i guess understanding uh more of their own physiology physiological aspects of it and the biomechanics and, and things like that but um i think you know we're trying to strike a balance between the two um i think a lot of different sports are doing the same um and then there's some sports that are just it's always been professional, you know, um, probably like athletics. Um, and I, I don't know about weightlifting, but you, you seem pretty professional. So Definitely not. Definitely not. No, I, <laughs> so I, I really like that point that you made. Um, you know, I think it's not something that, um, well, I, I guess it's not something that's discussed enough because, you know, ultimately, people tend to forget that sports started out as just amateur sports. Like no one was ever paid for sport. It was all just fun. Yeah. It was all just for entertainment. And eventually they started to monetize things and they were, they gained enough interest to be able to start paying people and paying organizations, mm. getting sponsors and televising it and kept the ball rolling. And I think what's also for me, what stuck out in my mind was, you know, the point that you just made um, was that for sports to, or at least amateur sports to elevate their level of competitiveness, professional sports have to do the same, mm. you know, and so on and so forth. If professional sports elevate their uh, 
professionalism or the way that they do things or they have more access to money then eventually it has to come full circle and they have to start supporting you know the amateur sports or the amateur athletes that that upholds that level of professionalism it's the same like a great example would be weightlifting the majority of weightlifters are hobbyists they aren't elite athletes yeah but at some point there has to be some kind of ecosystem where all of these hobbyists support the elite athletes, but then the elite athletes have to do something back to give back to the ones that help support, you know, these elite athletes on the stage. And I'm not saying that we pay for their, you know, we don't pay for their training. We don't pay for whatever, but, if they're if British weightlifting use that money to pay for the performance coaches, for the upkeep of the gym, for taking them out and flying them to here, there, and everywhere for training camps, we like we as the amateur hobbyists, we pay we pay for that. Yeah, like yeah. we all of our memberships, all of our entries to competitions all of that money goes to British weightlifting and they then use that. At least that's the way I see it. They then use that to support their elite, you know, their elite program, which is a great ecosystem to have, but only if it's reciprocated. If all it is, is all of these amateur athletes and all of these grassroots athletes, let's call them help support the elite. What happens if there's no longer any grassroots athletes, where does that funding come from? nowhere which means there's no longer any elite weightlifters because they don't have any money coming from anywhere apart from sponsors um and i think british weightlifting forget that you know they forget that when they put on these competitions for us hobbyists british champs Mm. english champs national competitions regionals local competitions all the coaching courses all the memberships like all the money that we give them is funding everything that they do on the elite program, uh, paying the coaches, you know, paying for the gym. Um, sometimes we feel like it's not reciprocated, like as hobbyists, which is a Mm. a precarious place to be in as an organization, because like I said, if you've got no amateur athletes, you've got no sport. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point. Um, and you know, in 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 my sport, for example, in eventing, I think the stat last year was that gra- the grassroots level made up eighty percent of the sport. Wow. Yeah. That's... Um, and again, that's what funds that's what funds the sport. You know, that's what funds the sport for them to be able to give us the resources and the competitions and the venues and stuff for us to be able to do our job. Um, so obviously we have to look after the grassroots and it's, it's the same, like you say, in weightlifting. And I think as well, like you go back to that kind of professionalism aspect of it as a sport, you know, at the end of the day, we're all kind of performance and result driven, at least in some way. And, you know, in rugby, when you see teams that are implementing more SNC and and more kind of, say, psychology and nutrition and stuff like that, when you see them doing better, then the other teams obviously have to to catch up with that. 
And, you know, it's the same in eventing when you see the riders that are kind of doing more for their fitness and their for and, and their conditioning for riding, they're doing better. Uh, or, you know, at a three-day event, you know, they're going to the bar and having one or two beers rather than getting shit-faced every night and come out the next day and ride better. Like, it's no surprise, but um, it kind of pushes pushes everyone else to to catch up to that, you know? Um, and that's, uh, at the end of the day, I think like that's what professionalism is about, right, in sports. Yeah. Yeah, professionalism is, you know, continuing to elevate the level of performance. You know, the higher that that level of performance gets, the more professional people have to become. Um, which goes back to the point of you talking about the amateur snooker player playing against the the professional is at some point he has to take uh he has to take ownership on the fact that he didn't prepare as well as he could have otherwise he wouldn't have been beaten that that would be my argument you know the fact that amateur athletes are allowed to come in com and compete and they in this case, he beat a professional. Like people might see that from the top down as a bad thing. Like, oh God, they're taking our jobs. But the fact that amateur sport is now able to compete with elite or professional sport in snooker, it means that those professional snooker players need to do more to prepare themselves. That's yeah, the only way that I see it. Yes, they feel threatened because they're taking their jobs. So do something about it. Don't complain and try and ostracize the people that, you know, are beating you because they're better. 100%. Um, 100%. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, yeah, professional or amateur. Um, hope you go and elevate your sport and elevate yourselves. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Into the Unknown. So, Yushuan, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.